All right, everybody, welcome to our Tuesday edition of Hashtag Terry Tuesday. I'm Sean Weiss, and thanks for joining us on The Compliance Guy. As always, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me and my special guest as we get an opportunity to talk about all things healthcare, the business of medicine, and the intersection where it meets regulatory compliance. So today, Terry and I got into a little bit of a conversation prior to getting our podcast going, and we thought, you know, that it would be a really good idea for those who are healthcare consultants, healthcare professionals who are engaging not only with medical practices, hospitals, health systems, ASCs, DME companies, um, law firms, to understand how to put together, really, if you will, a winning proposal. And what I mean by winning is not just getting somebody to sign on the dotted line, but actually creating a proposal that hits all of the key factors, that clearly identifies all of the expectations that you as a consultant have of the client, and the expectations that the client should have from you. So um, we thought that since it's the holidays, we would kind of maybe this week, Terry, what do you think? Take just a little bit of break from uh, pounding people over the head with regulatory compliance guidance and kind of take a softer approach and try to help those who are maybe struggling to win a higher rate of the proposals that they put out there or to help those who are just getting started in the consulting business to understand what it means to put together a winning proposal. I agree. I think where we're at right now, and it's it's interesting to me, I always look at starting an audit or hopefully getting, you know, physician practices hospitals, whoever your employer is talking to the listeners, getting them on board with a proposal is almost like trying to get back to the gym. And we're in December and, you know, everybody's going to try to do that in January and then it kind of wanes towards, you know, uh, the spring. But we have to know where to start and and you have to be able to explain to them what's the benefit because it's going to cost money. So, and what's the benefit of, you know, um, going into an audit program and making sure, and I say program because it's, it shouldn't just be a one-time thing, but you know, we can start there, but you have to look at, you know, the size of the audit, you've got to have a buy-in, you know, know the number of physicians or possibly mid-levels to be audited. If you're auditing a facility, know the scope of that. Um, Are you going to include education? But let's, before we get into any of that, we have to know where to start. So your thoughts have to be organized if you're going to create a proposal and you have to have a structure because you're going to bring this to either an administrator or a physician who's in charge. And Sean and I just want to talk to you about what elements do you really need to bring this proposal to light and hopefully it's the persuasion, if we use that word, that you want to get your physicians, your practice, your administration on board, that you need a an audit. And all I'm going to say is that to be a successful practice, to be a profitable practice, you really need to have some kind of an auditing program. 
because we have increased specificity of, and I'll just use the coding part because that's my background, ICD-10, CPT, we've got grace periods of things falling off, we've got new employees. Sean, you know all about that because of compliance, you know, doctors coming in and out, credentialing, all of that. We have denials, we have all kinds of compliance issues going on. So the first thing is not everyone's going to, reading your proposal, will be well-versed in what you're talking about. So you've got to lay it out. That's what we call the definition, whether it be coding, documentation, revenue cycle. Um, and so sometimes people go, well, this is pandering. It's like, well, it may be, but you have to put things in the simplest terms. Um, you may have heard Sean and I talk and we throw out acronyms all the time. And I always take a step back and say, well, this is what I meant by that acronym, including audit. Don't make assumptions that people know what an audit is. And so the first thing is I would have a section if we're going to start as far as organizing our thoughts, as far as what a definition is. What is it that you want to provide in this proposal? Yeah, so funny. Um, you know, I, you always say, Sean, don't make that left turn. But, you know, it was funny. You, you were talking about the gym and the holiday season and all that stuff. And I was just thinking about how I put my winter coat on and how hard it is to shed it come the spring. But yeah, um, see, you're right. My ADD, Terry, just gets hold of me sometimes. <laughs> and, and I go and I go wandering into these different directions. No, you're right. And I, I, I think that's so critical because, you know, one of the things that I always think about when I'm putting together a proposal and like you, God knows, I'm probably writing three, four, five, six, ten proposals per week, depending on how aggressive the government is or how aggressive the you know, commercial payers are with their special investigative units. So yeah, making sure that you define what the terms are, because when you talk about audits, and I think that's a great first definition, especially if that's what you're going to be focusing on, you've got to hit the subparts of what is an audit, right? Talking about whether it's going to be a prospective and what is a prospective audit versus a retrospective audit and what right. a retrospective audit means. And of course, you know, a lot of us that do this for a living, we think about it and we go, well, duh, yeah. But you can't automatically assume that when you're dealing with individuals that are in practice management who have never been through an audit before, who are for the first time being challenged to figure out, are we undercoding? Are we overcoding? What are our potential risks that we face as an organization? And how do we mitigate those risks? And <clears throat> Excuse me, the, the the reason why you want to consider doing a prospective versus a retrospective or when a retrospective audit is more conducive to the type of audit that you're going to perform, i.e. having to do a self-disclosure protocol, right? So I think that's a great first point, making sure that you define your terms, making sure that you define them clearly so that anyone who picks up that scope of work has a clear understanding as to what it is that you're trying to convey you're going to be providing as a service to their organization. Right. And you don't want any confusions or assumptions made about what you're talking about. So starting with the definition section, basically you're eliminating any kind of misunderstanding. And then what I would get into after that is the rationale. And this is the biggest one. So I obviously you probably have some level of buy-in for your audit program. If you've come to your provider or whoever's in charge in your practice or organization and said, we really need to do this because obviously you've seen some either inefficiencies, deficiencies, or payer 
letters saying we want to look at something. But this is what solidifies your reasons for having the audit. This is what I call where you fight for why this program needs to happen. So include information, such as statistical information if you can, which is real dollar amounts. Show, you know, fraud and abuse judgments um, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, from HHS. Show what you know, the, the justice system is doing, show what OIG is doing and look at quality care initiatives, you know, um, information on outcomes of infractions and they're self-disclosed. I mean, they know what's going on there. Look at improper payments, but you have to look at an audit. It's a catalyst for change, not a negative, not a negative experience. You're, you're trying to propose why this needs to be done because you need things to be changed. And so that's where I would start first with definitions, then the rationale, your buy-in, and then kind of a general description, you know, here you, then you describe what an internal claims audit, or if you want to send it out to a professional externally, you know, like Sean and I do, of maybe coding and documentation or compliance, you know, maybe you want to identify incorrect coding and billing practices or protecting against fraudulent claims or identifying and correcting problem areas. So there, there's bullet points that you need to also bring up within that general description and rationale. So I'm I'm completely with you. You know, and while you were talking, <clears throat> I was thinking about some some definable terms. Let let me just give a quick list and 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 see what you think and see if I if I've omitted any. Okay. Mm-hmm. So some of the some of the definitions that I actually have, obviously, to your point, we talked about audit and we talked about prospective and retrospective. Privilege. Making sure that you define privilege and or attorney-client privilege. Another term that I like to use is at the direction of counsel. Another term is work product doctrine. You brought up a great, uh, 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 a great term, which was statistical analysis, right? So define what statistical analysis is, right? Whether it's a statistically valid sample, meaning an SVS, or if it's a convenient sample, or if it's a non-probability sample. If you're doing something uh, tied to a self-disclosure protocol, you want to define what an SDP is. You want to define what an SSOE is, right? A a statistical sample overpayment extrapolation, SSOE. Um, False claim. That's another term that you brought up. You want to identify terms like fraud, intent, abuse, waste, undercoding. Not a big fan of undercoding, but I do like the term underdocumenting or underdocumentation. I think that has less of a negative connotation to it. Um, overcoding, clean claim, corrected claim, disclosure, voluntary refund. These are all terms that should be clearly defined in your scope of work or proposal, whatever you refer to it. Have I, have I omitted anything? I was trying to go off the top of my head on the terms that I like to use. 
Well, so this is why I really like that this podcast with Sean and I. For those of you listeners that are here, and I know obviously you're you you know Sean and and what he means to the industry. Sean is a bigwig out there. I don't know if you guys know that. I feel like I'm I'm kind of you know in the middle because I deal more on the the probably the smaller practice level. Um, the you well, know, I mean small practices up to practices that have you know a hundred people. Yes, but a lot of times it is, or I should say, a hundred physicians or a hundred providers, but and sometimes more. But I like to deal with like the smaller practice. So what they're dealing with in terms, because I know Sean gets very, she, he is so into the legal aspect and very much into the regulatory and talk about a, a resource. Oh my gosh, I, I wouldn't go to anybody else for that information. But then you get into the smaller practices and they're, you, they, you need things like a BAA. What is that? That's a business associate agreement. And you better have one of those when you bring in outside people. Um, yeah. An acronym RCM. Do you know how many people don't know what revenue cycle management actually even means? Yeah, um, that's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Bundling guidelines. Bundling. I have a practice right now that I'm in the process of, of auditing. And it's tough because I see a lot of unbundling and I'm saying that generically, it's not to disclose uh, what I'm doing, but it's interesting because the providers were not given the information of what's inclusive and what isn't. And then I have another practice that actually the payer came to me and said, we have a problem because I do a lot of payer audits. They never got their mid-level providers credentialed. And so they said, well, it doesn't matter because they're working incident to the physician. I'm like, you want to bet? You still have to have them credentialed, not only with the payer, but with the facility and with if they're, you know, doing any kind of hospital rounds, they still have to be part of the practice from a credentialed and um, certified participation. Um, another thing that you were talking about, Sean, when you said, over undercoating. One of the legal terms that I've dealt with in all kinds of um, different situations with attorneys is upcoding. They love that word, upcoding. Um, if anybody says, well, what cheat sheet did you use? Don't use cheat sheets. You use reference guides. So if you're ever looking at anything from a simplistic form that somebody gave you to maybe it has the most routine services on there, uh, make sure that that is a reference guide. It's never a cheat sheet. Who are you trying to cheat? That's what, that's yeah. what they'll say to you, you know, and, and any kind of, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it when you're going back and forth with an attorney that's not actually in court. And then assumptive coding. Oh, my gosh. Talk about yes. a leap. I have a clinical background and um, I don't always make that known because I'm not a practicing RN anymore. But when um, I still keep it up, but I'm I'm in the administrative end of it. But it's interesting to me when I see like for example, an end-stage renal disease patient, and you know that's a complex patient, but the doctor doesn't link that diagnosis to the medical management that they're doing with that patient right now who may be waiting for a kidney transplant. But everything in the record says the patient's stable, doing well, they're on dialysis, they're fine until they, they're waiting for this um, transplant. Well, they leap to, you know, the coders leap to the level five when the doctor did not support that within the note and it's assumptive coding. Right. And, you know, and then SME, that's a subject matter expert in education who in your practice actually can do that and educate. One of the biggest downfalls we see, especially um, what prompts an audit is lack of training and lack of education for everybody. I mentioned the provider that wasn't told that 
this service versus this service was inclusive. And so now they're getting dinged and having to pay back a ton of money because they shouldn't have billed for it to begin with. Yeah. So That's those kinds of point. things you probably see. Yeah, definitely do. And Terry, seriously, thank you so much for all of your kind words. I, I can't tell you how much that means coming from you and really anybody who, you know, kind of says such nice things about me. Um, you know, my wife would adamantly disagree on everything <laughs> that you have just said, but that's what makes her my wife. But, you know, it was really funny because um, you were, t you know, you were saying such nice things about me. And it, it, it reminded me of a podcast that I was actually listening to yesterday it was, um, who cares what Stacy says? It was oh yeah, uh, Stacy Buck. Buck. Yeah, Stacy Buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah Stacy Buck. IR and coder. she had on uh, another lady uh, by the name of Christine Hall. Christine Hall. I, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a very knowledgeable, very nice lady. She is. And it was actually she's, she's yeah, great. yeah, and it was actually really kind of funny because um, they were they were talking about um, the Brad Pitt of our industry, and when I when I heard that, I was like, Good Lord, who are they talking about? And they mentioned um, this guy by the name of Brian Kui, who I actually know. And it was actually kind of funny. And I, I started laughing. I don't know. It, it, it just, your, your, your flattery will get you everywhere with me. Um, funny. But when I heard that, I was just kind of like, oh, it made, me, it made me think of that. See, again, my ADD is out of control and it took us in the wrong direction. So, all right, let's go, let's go back to the rationale, right? Because um, you started talking about the um, the aspect of why we're rendering this service or yes, what your what the provision yes. yeah what the provision of this service is. I, I I agree with you. This is so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it from my southern perspective. Right, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. So for me, the rationale and the general description, the objectives. Those three things that you started to outline or highlight, those are really the meat of any proposal. And I believe that's where you either win somebody over or you lose them. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the biggest thing, I agree. I think the thing that's really tough when bringing a proposal to your provider, again, to the person that's going to make these decisions and engaging in an audit is that you have to reflect, and I, I hate to put this out here, how is this going to make them money? They're, they're looking for revenue, and you have to be able to put that out there. So one of the bullets that I mentioned, so obviously identifying incorrect coding, billing practices, but sometimes when you say protecting against fraudulent claims, they kind of roll their eyes, and then identifying correcting problem areas, and to me that's with education, training, et cetera. So two out of three isn't bad, and you have to put in that protection, but a lot of times the providers don't see that as, what's the word I'm looking for, as, as a, a reason to do an audit because right. it doesn't make them money. But what, and I'm hopefully you buy into this too, Sean, is that one of the things when we talk about an audit program, what what makes money for providers or what really protects your revenue, what increases your revenue is identifying and correcting these problems. Because with clean claims, with educated staff, with actually identifying where the problems are so that you can fix it, that's where you, you find your revenue opportunities. One of the things um, that happens to me a lot of times is I, I audit probably 80% is now what I'm doing. Education, coding, yes, but I, I'm auditing all the time. 
And I usually am engaged to an audit because somebody's worried about something they're doing wrong. It's never to find money. It's usually something doing wrong. But nine right. times out of 10, I find lost revenue. I'm just like, why aren't you billing for this? Why aren't you coding for this? I'm seeing this being done in these services and I'm not understanding why you're not capturing this revenue. And they're just like, we didn't know we could. We we had no idea. And so that's where you have to include that in your, not just your objectives in your proposal, but also letting your provider know that, you know, this audit could not only disclose our, our issues and maybe correct some problems, but you know, and the possibly incorrect coding or billing, but maybe it'll also give us a peace of mind of what we're doing right and what we can do better to capture more revenue. Since Sean, you saw the fee schedule for 2022. It's not looking good for, for Medicare. No. no, it's definitely not. And, you know, Terry, I, again, I agree with everything that you just said, you know, and I, for me, one of the things that I try to convince providers of, um, because oftentimes our proposals tend to be a little bit larger. They tend to be a little higher in the price range because of the scope, right? Just, yeah. and when I say the scope, I'm talking about the volume of claims, the volume of providers, right. those types of things. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of times what we're doing are integrity audits to, you know, uh, you know, I call them challenge audits. You know, we're challenging the integrity of the documentation versus what was put onto the claim form. and I have a lot of physicians that will say to me, you know, the fee schedule is horrible. You know, it's been stagnant or declining over the last 10 years. You know, it's unfair, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I tell people all the time, if you want fair, jump on I-95 and head straight north to Syracuse and you can have all the fair you want. <laughs> and and, and if, for those of you that are kind of sitting there going, what's he talking about? That's where the world's fair is. That's so. right. I know okay. what you're talking about. <laughs> no. What I tell what I tell providers when they say that to me, because they're always saying to me the same thing, you know, oh, we're, you know, they're out to get us or this is unfair, everything. I said, okay, I have a question for you. And let me just put it back on you. I said, how many times have you been participating in your negotiation for fees with your contracts? And I get crickets. I said, how many times have you gone to any of your association, the you know, the ACC, the AAOS, any of the societies that you belong to, they're your lobbying voice right. and explain why you feel that this fee schedule is low. And again, crickets, I, I get no feedback that they've done anything. They're just sitting back and waiting for somebody else to do it. And I'm just like, this is politics. This is governing. You have to participate in, in this lobbying effort if you want to be heard. And oh, there's so, no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. So when I hear that, I, I definitely say, well, if you're not, if you're not participating in it and you're not spelling it out, then it's hard for anybody to know what you're talking about. No, and, you I, know. I, I agree a hundred percent. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, you know, doing, doing these audits is an outstanding way to capture lost revenue, it to is. mitigate against revenue that's being collected that, you may not be entitled to, um, especially when it comes to things like amniotic fluid for musculoskeletal use or, you know, these other things that are listed as a part 361 under the FDA where they're not actually FDA approved, they're FDA cleared, and it has a completely different meaning. So I, I agree with you. Uh, to me, I always look at audits from two perspectives. One from an educational perspective, right? Because we're educating the provider, we're educating the staff to be able to do it better 
and cleaner to ensure that we're submitting clean claims to the payers for reimbursement, but two, we're doing it to mitigate their risk, their, their risk of overpayment and refunds or recoupment that takes place. So for me, I don't look at audits as punitive, where a lot of people do, and I really try, you know, maybe one of the things that we should do, Terry, on one of these um, Tuesday episodes, let's do a discussion on how to deliver audit results without that would be good yeah yeah without chasing providers away because providers are so tired of hearing the word fraud they're so tired of beating over the he- being beaten over the head with it because i try not to use the f yeah. word if i can if i can uh, avoid it <laughs> that's what i look no, at I, yeah I, I i'm not allowed to use the f word my 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 partners are always monitoring everything i do so i, I have to be very careful on my word selection all right. Exactly. So, yes, yeah, so we've talked about the rationale. We've, we've talked about the general description, right? And the fact that, you know, we're, we're trying to identify what this project is going to accomplish, right? We're going to identify the areas that we're going to be uh, focusing on throughout the process. And well, yeah, so go let's, ahead, please. So, yeah, so let's, yeah. So let's kind of go back over the key elements. We have definitions because, again, not everyone's well-versed in what you're doing. Then the rationale. So this is your buy-in on why you're doing it. Then the general description. So describe what this audit claims really it's going to look like and give some examples. Then the objectives. So this is maybe an objective could be to ensure fair and equitable coding and billing practices by all providers, but state your objective and how you're going to dive in. Then we get to the general process. And again, Sean and I are just just trying to give you some elements for this proposal to have somebody buy into um, starting an audit program or engaging either internally or outside an audit program because it's so important to your practice. So now you have to, in this general process, you have to define the structure from beginning to end. So explain, first of all, how are your encounters going to be chosen? Uh, Sean mentioned retrospective, which are things that are already billed, or prospective, things that haven't been sent out to your office yet. Maybe the auditor requests and access the documentation and coding for the encounter. So how are they going to, how's that going to happen? The auditor performs the audit, how results are going to be distributed. Sean mentioned going through an attorney. I have so many practices that prefer not to. And it, you know, it's either or, I mean, it depends how big your practice is on what that recommendation would be, but some don't want it distributed to everybody until they read it because some of the information can be sensitive, uh, how disputes are handled, how education is determined and executed. And here's a big one, follow-up audit thresholds. You know, once we identify something, it is our responsibility as auditors to make sure we come back and say, hey, we need you to make sure that you fix this or this could be an issue. And then where the audit information will be stored, because I know this general process can be very dense and very quickly. So make sure that this, this information is conveyed in a way that can be easily deciphered. You use bulleted lists, use a, a small flow chart. I know that for me, doctors will stop reading after three pages. So try to keep it very concise, oh, yeah. um, make sure that they can see it. And then really get into your goals. Now, you may have already figured that that's part of this, but this is the section where you start looking at, um, you know, figure out in this section, decide whether you want to accomplish 100% participation in educational programs or what's your, your goal for the reduction in billing or claim areas. 
um, improvement, in, improvement in coding and documentation compli compliance. You have to set goals in the program, otherwise it'll be too open-ended. And then to me, it would be development. And this step is where you talk about how much it's gonna cost. So here right. you say, okay, here's our budget. So areas for development may include that compliance code of conduct or a compliance committee. So it's based on what you, you find, you know, after the findings, here's what we want to do. And then, you know, give a summary, just say here, here's so not to rehash everything, but just summarize what your audit program can do for the company and for your organization. But you have to really look at those elements of definition, rationale, then give a description, get your objectives out, then the process, then your goals, and then, you know, the budget, and then your summary. Yeah, I want to talk about costs for a minute, right? Because that, this is an area that drives me absolutely insane. Um, one of the things that you said to me, Terry, when it comes to cost, is that you have to be realistic, okay? Yes. And 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 being realistic means that you need to be in line with what the industry charges. Now, I'm not saying that we should all be in cahoots and we should all be, you know, telling each other how much we charge for a service or anything like that, right? You know, we, we don't want an antitrust issue. Um, but, you know, for me, if, if we are, so let's say you and I both bid on a project, right? Yes. And our fees are either identical or they're within a couple of dollars of each other. Okay. People should make the determination based on the overall level of comfortability after they've interviewed the consultant, after they've been able to ask questions and flesh out some of the aspects of the proposal and the scope that you're going to be performing for them. I have people call me after they have um, because physicians in general are notoriously cheap, okay? <laughs> they are. And I, I have, I, I'm not kidding, uh, a little bit later on this afternoon, I have a, 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 a meeting with a, an attorney and one of her clients, and, you know, we sent them a proposal and the guy... <laughs> Do you know what a conniption is? Have you ever yes. heard of a conniption? Okay. <laughs> so so yeah. apparently this guy had a bit of a conniption, which, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Just for the listeners, that's not a happy dance. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, it is not. It is basically where the head splits apart and the beams <laughs> exactly. of light. The, the head, head explosion emoji. You've all seen it. <laughs> that's That's right. That's right. So apparently what happened was this individual, this provider, contracted with another consultant. Uh, a while back and got three or four different proposals and chose the one that was the lowest. Of course. Now, it wasn't just the lowest. It was the lowest. Oh. I mean, it was off by thousands of dollars. And the what they were offering as a scope of work on paper was identical to what the other two or three or four uh, groups were offering. But the doctor said, okay, this is, you know, uh, 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 an ABC, you know, onesie, twosie compliant, you know, uh, uh, consulting group, um, you know, asked them, you know, do you have a certification? Have you done this kind of work before? You know, just some basic questions, right? 
And, you know, the doctor, after looking at everything, went back and said, okay, why am I going to spend 10000 when I could spend $2,500? Oh, and chose the consultant for 2500 bucks, and is now, and I'm not joking, this is all this consultant's fault. This provider is now facing a $1.6 million overpayment demand yeah. from the government, okay? significant yeah. money. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying somebody who charges $10,000 is better than somebody who charges $2,500, but I tell people more often than not, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And actually, you know, it's funny because, and you and I've talked about this with, when anything that you're looking at right now with the, I mean, I don't care if it's from the vaccine mandates, if it's from anything we're dealing with, you know, regulatory, follow the money. And That's not right. only in the in the way that if you see that, you're like, oh, now I see why there's so much, you know, legal issues because of that. But you also, the get what you pay for, I can't tell you how many times I've submitted a proposal. And I would say 95% of the proposals I submit are accepted, which I think is a pretty good, good, you know, um, percentage rate. Yeah, that's outstanding. But I have a 5% where, you know, I've had some providers say, oh, I found somebody either local, which kind of cracks me up, or I found somebody um, that's less, like you said, you know, and, and a lot less. And they'll come back and they'll try to say, so I have another proposal. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you for asking. And they're like, no, no, they're they're offering this. What can you do? And I said, what do you mean? Can you can you like readjust for this? I said, no, actually, I can't. That's yeah. that's my proposal. And I can't tell you, Sean, how many times when that's happened, not everybody, but a couple of times, about a year later, year and a half later, I get a call, Terry, I'm in trouble. Are you really? Yeah, that didn't work out so well. They actually didn't know anything about cardiology or they didn't know anything about yeah. spine surgery or, you know, whatever my specialties are, dermatology. And they're like, now we're getting all these audit requests from payers. Can you help us? Well, guess what? My fee now doubles or it goes up a lot because now I got to clean up a mess. So it wasn't just, yeah, they don't audit. realize that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't realize that. And then the they come back to you and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm willing yeah. to sign your proposal. Well, yeah, here's the problem. Yeah. My proposal was to do the work that was initially provided for us. Okay. Now yeah, you're exactly. asking us to clean up a torn, you know, the aftermath of a tornado. Right. But, you know, and here's the other thing. And, and, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, you know, Ask for references and when you call and, and, and actually call the references, right? Don't yes. just get a reference and don't take a reference on paper, okay? Pick up the phone and call the reference. And I always tell people who are getting ready to engage with me, and to your point, you know, yeah, I cut my teeth as a coder and, and, and an auditor. And, you know, as I, you know, over 27 years of this industry grew up um, and I'm still growing up. Uh, but as I grew up in this industry, you're really you know, not, I, but okay. <laughs> yeah, you're the biggest that. kid I know. <laughs> I, I know. Can, can I tell you, do you know how much fun I have playing with my grandbabies? And it's so strange <laughs> to be able to say that, but I, I so love true. getting down onto the ground and playing with the little GI Joe guys and the little Barbie dolls. And, you know, my, my little six-year-old granddaughter, Finney, he's just all about, you know, um, she likes tea parties and makeup parties and, you know, Papa so has to cute. sit there and get his nails painted and put a tiara on. And that's what anybody keeps you knows, fresh for the industry, right? It's yeah. like you get that mind vacation. Yeah. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm, I'm, 
I'm a guy from the South. You know, I love to go hunting and shooting guns and I drive my tractor and I work our farm and, you know, but yeah, then there's that moment where, you know, my grandbabies look at me and they're like, Papa, can we play? And I'm like, of course. What, what, what and, am I see, say? and see, I'm you know? the polar opposite of you. So I, I have a 26-year-old daughter that's getting married. We're planning a wedding. We're going to Napa wow. the week of Christmas. You oh, know, nice. we're, we live in, I live in California. She lives in Arizona. We're, you know, we're sitting there arguing over her, her new build house on what couch would look better. So yeah, we, we're a little more like not as, um, tractor <laughs> farmer and then we're a little bougier over here but it's, <laughs> if you ever hear that song she thinks my tractor's sexy by kenny chesney you can think of me oh my god so, okay boy did we take a left turn guys sorry yeah, we did. So, let's let's get back on the road let's because that, one, on that wasn't here. even a left turn that was just a, 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 a swerve into a ditch um so you know but <clears throat> Pick up the phone. And one of the things that I tell my clients all the time, or somebody who's considering becoming a client, when you call and you talk to a reference that I give you, ask them what went wrong with the project. Ask them what could have been done better. Ask the negatives. Get the negatives out of the way. Because any client who, who's willing to <clears throat> give a referral is willing to talk positively about you, but catch them off guard and say, hey, before you tell me all the wonderful things about Terry Fletcher, tell me what went wrong. Yeah. Well, and I think and one of the biggest so things that, that I hear too is, and this is interesting, this is mostly over the last, I'd say 15 years, is that one of the, and a lot of my proposals, a lot of the requests from, from my clients are saying, are you going to personally handle my audit? I don't care if your staff's involved as well, but are you going to personally handle? And, I, and I'm like, yes, that's coming from me because they don't want it to be subbed out. If they're coming to Terry Fletcher Consulting or if they're coming to, you yeah. know, doctor's management and they hire Sean, that's, that's who they want. And, and I feel like in the big scope of things, a lot of the bigger, bigger companies haven't been able yeah. to, to do that. And that private, you know, personal touch is, is a really big deal. Um, I had one referral, one doctor said, can I get some referrals? I said, absolutely. I said, Where, what part of the country do you want him? You want him everywhere? And he goes, oh, I'll take him everywhere. I'm like, all right. So he called this one practice in Corpus Christi, who's been a client of mine for about 18 years. And this one doctor and I, we have a hate-hate relationship. I just, <laughs> I mean, it's not a love-hate, it's a hate-hate. So we we just don't like each other. And he can be very condescending. He's, he's a complete jerk. And he probably thinks I am too, because we just don't like each other. And so, so we I'm shouldn't like, tell him that we're doing this podcast. Oh right? no, because he, we don't... he actually listens to everything I do. So here's ah. the funny thing. So he talked to, he talked to this provider and yeah. he said, and the provider came back to me, he goes, okay, so that was super funny. And I go, what was going on? He goes, well, he goes, yeah, I don't really like her. And he goes, everybody likes her. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. He goes, he goes, did you know that? I go, yeah. And he goes, but the thing is, he goes, but I respect the heck out of her and she knows what she's talking about and yeah. she doesn't he goes she doesn't take my crap and that's why I don't like her and I thought it was really funny coming from a doctor that just was yeah. like she doesn't take my crap and all my staff do he goes so yeah. it, it just bugs me when she's here because then we all have to be on our best behavior <laughs> and I started yeah. laughing oh yeah <laughs> listen like okay and, and, and I'm with you look at the end of the day you're not hiring me to be your friend Right. You're hiring me to be your protector. You're hiring me to be the person who tries to figure out how to legitimately unravel the ball of yarn that you created for yourself. Right. So when, you know, when I'm, 
when I'm talking directly to you and I'm not smiling, you can't take it personally. You got to look at it as this is a business transaction. Um, now, not to say that I don't build friendships with my clients. Um, oh, me too. Absolutely. Like you, uh, yeah, like you, you know, I've had, I've had clients that have been with me. One of my, one of my favorite clients is Dr. Alan Weinberg. He's in Orange County, California. That's right. He's, yeah, yeah. He's one of the biggest urological, um, you know, cancer surgeons in the country. He's just unbelievable. He's been a client of mine now for, God, 26 years. Um, Steve Warfield down in Florida has been with me for 26 years. You know, so I, I do build relationships with my clients, but you are my client first. And when we yes. have to fix something, I can't, I can't be your buddy and put my arm around you and be like, ah, oh, come on, man, let's go, you know, let's go sit down and shoot the breeze for a little while. No, you know, we've got a serious problem. You really, you know, you screwed up. I don't know how else to tell it to you. You screwed up. You made a huge mess of things. Now we got to figure out how we're going to unravel this thing legitimately without you having to pay hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars back in, in overpayments. And then you know, fines on top of that, or, you know, how do we avoid, you know, a uh, potential criminal investigation with the Department of Justice? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and, And I know a lot of folks that are listening to us, you know, are like, you know, God, you know, you get so wound up, Sean, on some of these things and are there really that many criminal matters that are going on? Well, yeah, there really (laughs) are. Yeah. And they, and they start from little things. They don't start from these these big companies that you think, oh my gosh, they're you know committing fraud and billing all these things that are no no no, they start from these little things that happen that haven't been fixed, you know, um, going unbundling something that nobody took the time to check and see if you can bill. A perfect example, I've got a um, a, a urgent care center and they're in the Chicago area, and I just did a payer audit and I just kept them from getting on the OIG list. So the payer came in, a Medicare payer, and they said, you know, they're they're about ready to go on that list. I'm like, okay, there's like, you need to audit them and and see what you can do there. I'm like, okay. So I go in. One of the things that they were doing that they didn't know they couldn't do because nobody told them, they were charging for oral medication. So let's say a patient comes in and they've got, I don't know, bronchitis or upper respiratory infection, and they need a, a Zithromax pack. So they need the five-day Z pack. Well, they'd give them the, the oral number one, and then they need to write them a script for the next four, four days. Well, they were trying to charge separately for the oral. And remember, you can't charge anything out of your practice unless you have one, a pharmaceutical license for that, or, or you don't have to have a pharmaceutical license if it's something the patient wouldn't do for themselves. So an injectable. So if you're right. a medical practice and you're, the patient needs an injection, that's different, like Tordal or whatever. But if you're giving just an oral medication, it's almost like a sample. They're saying, I don't care if you bought it, you can give them just the start of it, but you can't charge extra above and beyond your office visit. And they didn't know that. And they were getting in a lot of trouble because they were trying to charge for it with Hicks codes to the payer. And we offset it. We figured out where that information came from. We self-disclosed. You mentioned that. And, you know, we ended up sending back, I think about, I think about 31,000, but they were supposed to, they were going to be on a list for over 2 million. So they were just like, okay, we'll take the 31,000, you know, self-disclosure refund payback that we're trying to, because some things got through and it shouldn't have. 
Um, but just not knowing, but those are little things that you're like, how, how come I can't do that? And it, it wasn't, there wasn't an intent to defraud anybody. There wasn't an intent to do anything wrong because some patients, the pharmacy closed where they live and they thought, well, we're going to stock this. We're going to be nice and do whatever, but they don't know the rules. And, right. and that's where, that's where the problems start. I don't know if you agree, Sean, but just not knowing the rules, not understanding coding practices, not understanding what's bundled and, and ASCs are terrible for this, not understanding oh, yeah. the rules. Oh my gosh. Talk about getting into trouble. ASCs right now, and they're popping up everywhere. And I think they're an awesome thing. I love ASCs, but you have yeah. to know your rules. Otherwise, that's what could stem an audit. So, Absolutely. All right. So the last part, I think, of the proposal um, is the summarization. Yes. You, want, you want to just kind of take us through that part? Yeah. So on the summary, basically, again, don't rehash the information and processes. You want to summarize what the audit program can do for the company. Um, an audit program will not make the company millions, but it well, could, but it can di differentiate you from the other organizations. This is the place to show that. So build on the benefits of an audit program. And that's your strong, I hate to call it closing argument, but that's really what it is. You want to reflect that this can change our organization for your accurate coding and documentation. Um, your Our providers can receive appropriate payments in a timely manner. We can now capture revenue that we never did before, but also this helps us improve the quality of care for patients. And since we're dealing now with a lot of point of care, with a lot of the um, quality care, um, things that we have with Medicare and things like that, developing this audit proposal captures the essence of why we're trying to kind of pave our future for you know, our success of our healthcare organization. So in summary, you're bringing all of this together and summarizing again why, what where the benefit is, and what differentiates you from other organizations that aren't doing this. Sean, you're on mute. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, most people don't complain when I'm on mute. <laughs> oh, I wanted to add one other thing to that. Yeah. You know, Sean and I podcast on different. Uh, venues. Obviously, I have my right. CodeCast podcast for those coders out there. But um, I also interviewed Sean for December um, uh, NSCHBC podcast, which is the Edge podcast that'll come out on the 14th of December. And we've talked about compliance plans. So just in extending that audit discussion, you might yeah. want to listen into that because that that does that's kind of in summary, as you said, how do we wrap it up? You need to have a plan moving forward that's well documented. So listen into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed being on that podcast with you. That was a good time. Terry does a great job um, hosting and, and really leading an interview and, and making sure that unlike me, where I veer off all the time, she really keeps you on track. So. <laughs> well, see, Sean, you know what the key is, is that I only I, you I get interviewed and then that's the only one I actually host. My other three podcasts are all solo. Apparently, I just I just like hearing myself talk and not argue with anybody, but <laughs> I got one of my clients because I post, I self host a podcast called what the football and it's all Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> and it was funny because he's a Browns fan. So when oh, I yeah. audited him, he's a podiatrist out of Ohio. He's pretty funny. His audit went great, but I sent him a terrible towel. He wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> I can only, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. All right. So I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. And I, 
I'm, I'm, I got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot out of it. Boy, I, I got to get on tongue tied here today. I got a lot out of it and really enjoyed hearing some of your perspective on how you actually build your proposals. Because as you were talking, I was actually taking some notes for myself to think back on the next proposal that I write, some of the things that I need to double check because, you know, you do these things so often, you write so many of these things that you can sometimes become complacent and you allow just the monotony of these things, you know, the repetition to take over. And, you know, sometimes you may be missing out on larger opportunities to be able to expand upon what that scope of work really should be. It needs to be. I agree. Yeah. So as always, Terry, it's, it's just so much fun hanging out with you on our Tuesday episodes. And I know people are listening because I'm watching the numbers grow exponentially week over week and seeing a lot of the great comments that people were posting about how much they enjoy uh, the chemistry that we have uh, in doing these and doing the, you know, the content that we're doing. And for me, it's, 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 it's always a humbling experience uh, to be able to work with industry experts and subject matter experts and people that have just an outstanding reputation in the industry as, you know, knowing their stuff. And, and that's to me, the most important thing. And that's why I tell people all the time, you have to find your reliable sources. You, you can't depend on listservs and just the various posts that are being put on there. You shouldn't be going to Facebook to ask for guidance oh on gosh. regulatory compliance. Now. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, this this episode uh, is really getting us uh, just one step closer to our holiday vacations, which are coming up here in the next week or so uh, after this episode airs. And um, so I'll save my uh, well wishes for a brilliant holiday season to each and every single one of our listeners, both Terry's and mine. Uh, But for those who are right now, um, this, you know, the prior week to this episode dropping, um, who are celebrating Hanukkah, want to wish each and every single one of you and your families a very healthy and happy Hanukkah. and. Um, may you get lots of gifts over the seven nights, I think it is, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's seven nights that you get your gifts and may you all have a a wonderfully joyous and blessed, um, celebration for you and your families. Um, on behalf of myself, my incredibly gracious guest and friend, Terry Fletcher, who always makes time to hang out with me for this hashtag Terry Tuesday episode. Thank you so much for being here once again. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much, sincerely, for logging on, tuning in, and just hanging out with us, because we know that you have a lot of options out there when it comes to these different podcasts. And we are truly humbled and thankful that you are willing to hang out with us. So on behalf of myself, Sean Weiss, and the entire production crew at The Compliance Guy, have a great day. Remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. And until next time, take care.